I'm Wayne Turner, and welcome to the daily podcast of Bible Track. I have developed Bible Track to be both a commentary and a daily Bible reading schedule. These podcasts cover the text and commentary, which may be found at www.bibletrack.org. So, for those who have a busy schedule but do have time to listen to the Bible being read, this podcast is for you. At the end of one year, you will have gone completely through the Bible. As we continue our chronological study of the Gospels, today we'll be looking at passages Matthew chapter 8, verses 18 to 34, Mark chapter 4, beginning with verse 35, but going down through chapter 5, verse 20, and then two separate passages in the book of Luke. First, we'll look at Luke chapter 9, verses 57 through 62, and then we'll back up and look at Luke chapter 8, verses 19 to 39. I'll explain why in a few moments. This is the New King James Version of the podcast. The King James Version is also available. Now, here's what we're going to see today in Jesus' ministry. He's still traveling and ministering up in Galilee, and today's events take place around the Sea of Galilee. These events fall between the second and third Passover feast of Jesus' ministry. Let's look at the cost of discipleship in Matthew chapter 8, verses 18 to 22, and Luke chapter 9, verses 57 through 62. Of course, you can see that we're following Matthew's chronology. That's why the passage in Luke uh, is dealt with here rather than later on. Matthew chapter 8, verse 18, And when Jesus saw great multitudes about him, he gave a command to depart to the other side. Then a certain scribe came and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Then another of his disciples said to him, Lord, let me go first and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, Follow me, and let the dead bury their own dead. Now Luke's account, Luke chapter 9, beginning with verse 57. Now it happened, as they journeyed on the road, that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Then he said to another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. But Jesus said to him, No one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, this passage is among a few in the Gospels that have caused people to misunderstand some basic concepts. We're talking here extreme discipleship in this particular passage. We're talking about discipleship that involves physically accompanying Jesus in his earthly ministry. Now, let's put this passage into perspective. First of all, let's make sure we understand this. Salvation and discipleship are not one in the same. Now, if you want to know more about what I just said, the difference between salvation and discipleship, then go look at my notes on Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 through 27, where I explain it more fully. Now, don't misunderstand me here. Discipleship should follow salvation, but they're not one and the same. Second of all, to pass on the opportunity to physically follow Jesus to death during his earthly ministry, well, that didn't mean that these people declined salvation. Jesus had already chosen his disciples for his earthly ministry. Jesus, having complete foreknowledge of events that would soon take place, 
he discouraged these latecomers from becoming his disciples at this stage of his ministry. Many over the years have misunderstood this passage to mean that one cannot serve God without forsaking family. Well, that takes this passage out of context. That's not taught here. What is taught here is that Jesus' time on earth was short, he had no home, and those who follow him, literally those who accompany him in his journeys, at this point, they'd be called upon to make some huge personal sacrifices to follow Jesus to his death. So here's an important concept on serving God. When God requires it, he gives you the grace to offer it. I'm reminded of an Old Testament example that reinforces this concept. In Judges chapters 6 and 7, we find the story of Gideon, raised up by God to deliver Israel from the oppression of the Midianites. When the Midianites raise their fighting force against Israel, Gideon does likewise by raising an army of 32,000 Israeli soldiers. God wants Israel to see a miracle. A victory with an army of 32,000 will cause the Israelites to believe they did it by their own power. So Gideon makes the first cut by simply offering an exemption to those soldiers who are afraid. 22,000 leave. Of the remaining 10,000 willing soldiers, Gideon gives them a test, which pairs the number down to 300. So what about the 21,700 who were willing but not chosen for this mission against the Midianites? Well, they weren't bad people. They didn't hate God. They didn't hate Gideon or Israel. They just weren't right for this mission. Now, understand the call to discipleship during the earthly ministry of Jesus in light of this concept. We're not told that these people who declined this opportunity for discipleship were bad people. They simply didn't have what it takes to follow Jesus to his death. The word fit in Luke chapter 9, verse 62, comes from the Greek adjective euthetos. That means well-suited. Those with family obligations were not well-suited for the mission at hand. As a matter of fact, I'm reminded of Mark chapter 14, verse 50, which says, And they all forsook him and fled. After the garden incident on the eve of his crucifixion, none of Jesus' disciples stood with him. If the statements of Jesus discouraging new disciples here seems overly harsh, perhaps it's because Jesus was not looking for additional to the death disciples. In Luke chapter 8, verses 19 through 21, we look at a passage which was also dealt with in parallel fashion with Matthew chapter 12, verses 46 through 50, and Mark chapter 3, verses 31 through 35 in a previous reading. Uh, we show those two other passages here uh, just so that you can see how they parallel. The sequence of this event, it's a little difficult to precisely place. Luke places it in his account just prior to the storm incident, which we're going to see in a few moments. But it's not tied to that incident and time frame inasmuch as verse 22 of Luke chapter 8 begins with, Now it happened on a certain day. So based upon that phrase, Luke's not declaring any specific sequence. Nevertheless, all three synoptic accounts have been placed here so that you can see all three of them with the sequence of events in Matthew and Mark as well. Both passages take place within the same time frame, but Matthew and Mark listed as taking place at the conclusion of a challenge by the Pharisees. Both could have taken place within the space of a few hours. So, in Luke chapter 8, verses 19 to 21, this is what we read. 
Then his mother and brothers came to him and could not approach him because of the crowd. And it was told him by some who said, Your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered and said to them, My mother and my brothers are these who hear the word of God and do it. Now, you'll notice that uh, in the other two accounts, in Matthew and Mark, their comments are a little more extended than Luke's. I think I'll go ahead and read them. In Matthew chapter 12, verses 46 through 50, here's what he says. While he was still talking to the multitudes, behold, his mother and brother stood outside seeking to speak with him. Then one said to him, Look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak with you. But he answered and said to the one who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And he stretched out his hand toward his disciples and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. And then Mark chapter 3, verse 31. Then his brothers and his mother came, and standing outside they sent to him, calling him. And a multitude was sitting around him, and they said to him, Look, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. But he answered them, saying, Who is my mother or my brothers? And he looked around in a circle at those who sat about him, and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God is my brother and my sister and mother. So when Mary and Mary's other sons, the brothers of Jesus, come to where Jesus is speaking, he uses this occasion to introduce the concept of the body of Christ. We refer to the body of Christ as the church. And when we do so, we mean a reference to all of those who've trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior by faith. Jesus makes the point here that his relatives, as God in the flesh, Savior of the world, and Messiah, his relatives aren't limited to those who are kin by physical ancestry, but it extends to all those who accept Jesus Christ by faith. And then we see that Jesus calms the storm. In Matthew chapter 8, verses 23 through 27, Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to 41, and Luke chapter 8, verses 22 through 25. Matthew chapter 8, verse 23. Now, when he got into a boat, his disciples followed him, and suddenly a great tempest arose on the sea, so that the boat was covered with the waves, but he was asleep. Then his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we are perishing. But he said to them, Why are you fearful, O you of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. So the men marveled, saying, Who can this be? that even the winds and the sea obey him. Now Mark's account over in Mark chapter 4, verse 35. On the same day when evening had come, he said to them, Let us cross over to the other side. Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was, and other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? Now Luke's account in Luke chapter 8, verse 22. Now it happened on a certain day that he got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, Let us cross over to the other side of the lake. And they launched out. But as they sailed, he fell asleep, and a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in jeopardy. 
And they came to him and awoke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water, and they ceased, and there was a calm. But he said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid and marveled, saying to one another, Who can this be? For he commands even the winds and water, and they obey him. Now this incident takes place on the Sea of Galilee in northern Israel. Luke refers to it as a lake, that's the Greek word limne. This body of water is in the Jordan Valley, and it's about seven miles across east to west at its widest point, and from north to south it's about 12 miles. This is an impressive feat for a man, but for God in the flesh, how could we expect less? This is just one miracle that separates Jesus as something more than just a rabbi or a teacher come from God. He demonstrates power over nature itself. Mark goes into greater detail on this one than Matthew or Luke. He seems to want to impress his readers with the helplessness experienced by the disciples, and they're surprised that Jesus was sleeping through such a storm when they ask this, Teacher, you do not care that we are perishing? All three accounts point out that Jesus rebuked the wind. But only Mark records Jesus' exact words when he says, Peace be still. As I mentioned earlier, this is the Sea of Galilee in northern Israel. Since they end up in the place where the demoniac of the Gadarenes is located, we conclude that Jesus and his disciples arrive on the east side of the sea. Now, one more point should be made here. Notice what uh, Mark chapter 4, verse 40 says. But he, being Jesus, said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? Now, how does being afraid of a storm equate to have no faith? Well, let's use an Old Testament example, for instance. In Genesis chapter 22, let's look at the account of Abraham and Isaac. God had already told Abraham that his seed would flourish through Isaac. Therefore, when God called upon Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, Abraham's faith in God led him to follow God's instructions without fear or doubting. And why is that? Well, God had already promised that Isaac, who was childless at the time, that Isaac would be the father of Abraham's descendants through whom the promise would be fulfilled. So Abraham believed that God would completely fulfill his promise. So he wasn't concerned about the details of how God would do it. Abraham just exercised his faith in God. Now likewise, Jesus here had already told his disciples in Mark chapter 4, verse 35, he said this, Let us cross over to the other side. The fact that they would make it to the other side, that had already been established by Jesus himself. So why were the disciples afraid? Well, unlike Abraham, they lacked faith in the word of God, prompting Jesus' words in Mark chapter 4, verse 40, regarding their faith. In the next section, it's one of the most delightful of the New Testament. Two thousand swine commit what I call hogicide, or perhaps you'd want to call it suicide. It's in Matthew chapter 8, verses 28 to 34, Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20, and Luke chapter 8, verses 26 through 39. First, let's look at Matthew chapter 8, verse 28. When he had come to the other side of the country of the Gergesenes, there met him two demon-possessed men coming out of the tombs, exceedingly fierce, so that no one could pass that way. And suddenly they cried out, saying, What have we to do with you, Jesus, you Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now, a good way off from them, there was a herd of many swine feeding. 
So the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, permit us to go away into the herd of swine. And he said to them, Go. So when they had come out, they went into the herd of swine, and suddenly the whole herd of swine ran violently down the steep place into the sea and perished in the water. Then those who kept them fled, and they went away into the city and told everything, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they begged him to depart from their region. Now let's read Mark's account over in Mark chapter 5, verse 1. Then they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes. And when he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one could bind him, not even with chains, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces, neither could anyone tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him. And he cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. For he said to him, Come out of the man, unclean spirit. Then he asked him, What is your name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. Also he begged him earnestly that he would not send them out of the country. Now a large herd of swine was feeding there near the mountains. So all the demons begged him, saying, Send us to the swine, that we may enter them. And at once Jesus gave them permission. Then the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine. There were about two thousand. And the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned in the sea. So those who fed the swine fled. And they told it in the city and in the country. And they went out to see what it was that had happened. Then they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion, sitting and clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who saw it told them how it happened to him, who had been demon-possessed, and about the swine. Then they began to plead with him to depart from their region. And when he got into the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. However, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, "'Go home to your friends,' and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you, and how he has had compassion on you. And he departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him, and all marveled. Now Luke's account, in Luke chapter 8, beginning with verse 26. Then they sailed to the country of the Gadarenes, which is opposite Galilee. And when he stepped out on the land, there met him a certain man from the city, who had demons for a long time. And he wore no clothes, nor did he live in a house, but in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out, fell down before him, and with a loud voice said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For it had often seized him, and he was kept under guard, bound with chains and shackles, and he broke the bonds and was driven by the demon into the wilderness. Jesus asked him, saying, what is your name? And he said, Legion, because many demons had entered him. And they begged him that he would not command them to go out into the abyss. Now a herd of many swine was feeding there on the mountain, so they begged him that he would permit them to enter them, and he permitted them.
Then the demons went out of the man and entered the swine, and the herd ran violently down the steep place into the lake and drowned. When those who fed them saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then they went out to see what had happened, and came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had departed, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. They also, who had seen it, told them by what means he who had been demon-possessed was healed. Then the whole multitude of the surrounding region of the Gadarenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. And he got into the boat and returned. Now the man from whom the demons had departed begged him that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your own house, and tell what great things God has done for you. And he went his way and proclaimed throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done for him. So we see here that after arriving on the east side of the Sea of Galilee to a Greek-dominated region around Gadara, Jesus and his disciples come upon a man who's demon-possessed. Matthew, who was probably the only one of the three writers who actually witnessed the incident firsthand, he points out that there were actually two men who were demon-possessed. Mark and Luke just report the details of what happened to one of the two men based upon the eyewitness accounts of those disciples they later interviewed. So while both men were demon-possessed, Mark and Luke only follow up on one of the two demon-possessed men. Actually, to say that this man was demon-possessed is, well, that's an understatement. He's possessed by a legion of demons, a word indicating the presence of thousands of demons in this man. They had turned him into a wild man. Now, notice that these demons had no difficulty recognizing who Jesus was in Mark 5-7. Realizing that their time was short, these demons began negotiations with Jesus. It says, And he cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you, by God, that you do not torment me. you got to appreciate the humor of this story. It just goes to show you how filthy demons really are. There were about 2,000 head of swine. Jesus consents and sends them into the swine. Too bad, though, that the demons didn't think their request through very well. The swine just can't take it. They run down into the water and commit hogicide or suicide. Uh, that's killing two birds with one stone. First of all, the disposal of unclean spirits with unclean animals. And all in a day's work. Incidentally, that term, hogicide, that was coined by the late Dr. John R. Rice, founder of the Sword of the Lord. I made the suicide one up myself. Mark and Luke probably have heard this account from several of those that were present that day. And they go into some detail regarding the aftermath of this incident. Who were these pig farmers anyway? And to whom were they selling their unclean animals? Actually, the region where this incident took place was a predominantly Gentile area known as Decapolis. These people had no problem with the pig trade. They turn out to see the man, Jesus, who performed such a miracle. Then they ask him to leave. Why? Well, Mark and Luke report that the people were afraid. Someone there just lost 2,000 head of swine. Miracle or not, Jesus was just plain old bad for business. Notice the careful words chosen by the writers to describe the manner in which Jesus was asked to leave. Matthew, in verse 34, says that they begged him to depart from their region. Mark, in verse 17, says they began to plead with him to depart from their region. 
And Luke, in verse 37, reports, Then the whole multitude of the surrounding region of the Gadarenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. Well, there's no question in their minds that Jesus is just really bad for the hog business. But they treat him with the utmost of respect after learning what he'd done to the 2,000 hogs. Incidentally, the previously possessed man, he wants to follow Jesus as a disciple as well, but Jesus sends him back home to testify of what happened to him. It's as I said earlier, Jesus here is not looking for more disciples to accompany him to his death. Not at this point in time in his ministry. Subsequently, Mark tells us the man began to proclaim in Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him. Decapolis, as we mentioned earlier, was a predominantly Greek area east of the Jordan River in northern Israel. This concludes our podcast for today. I'm Wayne Turner, and if you'd like to read along with our commentary online, go to www.bibletrack.org. Thank you for listening in today. The background music for these podcasts is an original composition written by the music director of Faith Bible Church, Paul Walton.